Hello, and welcome to Beyond Prospecting, the Apper podcast, featuring thought-provoking conversations with prospect development and fundraising experts. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Well, hello, everyone. Thanks again for joining us for part two of our leadership podcast series. This is Melissa Banks-Stepno with Target Analytics, and I'm joined again with uh, Charles Snyder from Nova Southeastern University. Hopefully you've all had a chance to listen to part one of our podcast where we started to explore some themes related to the topic of leadership. And as you know, if you did listen to that podcast, we recorded that leading up to the Prospect Development Conference the summer of 2019. Now that we've cleared our heads from prospect development and have had a chance to calm down a little bit from the hecticness that happens with any great conference, Charles and I thought we would meet again and share some thoughts with you regarding some additional leadership themes that emerged from both the Emerging Leaders Workshop that Charles facilitated at PD, as well as the executive leadership cohort that I was able to attend. So just as a reminder, again, my name is Melissa Banksepno. I have the honor of serving as treasurer of the APRA board this year, and I also serve as director of analytics consulting and services at Blackbaud Target Analytics. And Charles, would you mind just quickly introducing yourself and reminding everybody what your role is? Absolutely. Uh, I'm Charles Snyder. I'm the Director of Prospect Management and Advancement Research at Nova Southeastern University down here in Fort Lauderdale. And um, I've been involved with, uh, with APRA and uh, nonprofit fundraising for, this is my 25th year. Great. Thanks, Charles. Uh, so just so everybody's aware, we thought we'd talk about three topics today, three broad topics that we'll dive into as our conversation winds and weaves a little bit that we heard come up as themes during those two different uh, leadership sessions that we were a part of at PD. One is the idea of being a player coach. How do you not just be a manager or a boss, but really engage in uh, the same types of activities that your uh, colleagues and your direct reports are engaging in as well. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the value of having some level of disagreement on your team, meaning having everyone be robots thinking of the same thing in agreement all the time actually could be uh, a weakness in, in team dynamics. And then lastly, we'll talk about navigating different types of forms of feedback that uh, you might have both with your direct reports as well as across your teams as well. So Charles, maybe we'll just start with that whole concept of player coach and dive into that a little bit. It's funny because this relates a teeny bit to that whole idea of being a tactical leader versus a strategic leader. But one of the things that I think a lot of folks struggle with as they uh, navigate their own leadership careers and managing teams in, in general is how do you balance getting your own stuff done and being an expert in the work that your team is doing while also needing to uh, be mindful of managing the individuals, both in terms of career development as well as in the execution of the tasks that they're asked to perform. So I throw that to you and, and just would be curious for you to share with everyone on the phone today what some of the uh, tricks and tips are that you have for doing that yourself. Thank you. Yes, I believe this is one of the huge things that's been in play here at my organization, Nova Southeastern, and, and we've had a lot of conversations about it. And no longer can, I think, uh, organizations afford to have a manager-only role. Um, you know, here the senior directors also carry a portfolio as they manage directors of development. 
the, me as the director of the research department also gets to do research and gets to do prospect management um, and uh, in addition to, to managing the team. Uh, of course, it helps extremely to have a good team and to have people that you can trust and assign tasks and, and be confident that they'll be done correctly. Um, I guess that's the biggest secret is hire the right people in the first place, which might not be a secret. Uh, but moving forward, getting your own stuff done, I think, um, of course, time management helps a great deal. Um, there's lots of resources out there that if you're not the best managing your time and managing your day, there's lots of resources. We live in a, a very, not only the uh, renaissance of TV, but also the digital um, abundance that we have of training classes. APRA has done an incredible job. There's so many resources out there. You have LinkedIn Learning is out there. So there's a lots of different uh, resources for us to go out and be better managers, be better at time management. One of the uh, tricks I, I use a lot is when I have a big project, um, and this kind of works across the board, so I have a big project in an area in which one of my team members needs to work on. For instance, it could be prospect management or it could be reporting. Um, and I have time, that project has time uh, for some direction, some indirection, some errors, and some correction. I'll assign that project to that person. So I'm, one, uh, offloading a large project. I'm also getting that person more experience in an area in which they desire. Uh, and I'm able to coach and give feedback on a, on a project because I have time because I've offloaded a large product. So it, it all it all works together. Yeah, that, I couldn't agree with you more. And as I've changed my roles over the years, I find myself doing fewer and fewer consulting engagements myself. I find it actually quite ironic that my title says that I'm the director of consulting, and yet I don't do a lot of consulting these days anymore. But I also find that the only way that I can keep my skills sharp and really understand, in my, in my case, what's going on in the marketplace, what's resonating, what types of things are concerning to development officers and researchers and advancement services professionals and all of the personas that I meet in my consulting engagements and my consultants meet is to actually do some consulting myself. And I enjoy it so much. I would never want to completely give it up. So I think that translates to whatever type of role our audience has uh, on who's listening today. But the other thing that I've also acknowledged over the years, and I, we may have talked about this a little bit the last time. I can't remember, but it's something that I still, I don't know if I want to say struggle, but I'll use the word struggle with a little bit, is that as my role has expanded, I've acknowledged that it is not possible for me to be able to execute every type of project or activity that everyone on my team is able to do, just simply because it's so broad and wide. I mean, think about this from the highest scale in, in its entirety. The president of the organization that you work for or the CDO of the development office that you work for probably can't do every single thing that everyone under their team does. Now, my team's obviously a lot smaller than that, as is yours, Charles. But it's the same type of concept. So have you run into that at all? And uh, have you had any types of um, tips or tricks or frustrations around not being able to do something for good reason that someone on your team's able to do? Or does it just go back to hiring the right people and trusting them to do their job accordingly? 
Well, I think uh, the the hiring the right people is obviously, but sometimes you don't need know your your holes, and you don't need you don't know who the right people are until you've got a project that no one can do. Um, but absolutely, Isn't that so, so true. <laughs> <laughs> so I have one of my researchers is just fantastic. I, uh, both of them are fantastic. I take that back. One of them is especially good at digging and, and finding information that. I would have never even thought of looking, and I thought I was a pretty good researcher until I've, I've seen the skills and tricks and just the intuition that, that he uses, and it's just, it, it's quite impressive. Um, and so uh, a lot of the, the bigger research jobs, especially are, you know, where we've got to get it right, uh, I assign to him, um, and, and I have no problem doing that. Another one of my researchers, her skills is really with the database. We use Banner, which is cumbersome, uh, describing it at its best. Uh, and she's been working with it for a while, and she's very good at navigating um, that system. Um, and, and that's something I don't enjoy, so I don't mind absolutely assigning her those projects that involve more Banner use. Um, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think it actually leads very well into one of the other things that we wanted to make sure we talked about today, which is not having teams that are exactly the same as one another. There's this concept that says hire for your team's weaknesses, not for your team's strengths. And I think that's part of it. But another part of it is just assuring that your team has levels of diversity in all shapes, manners, and forms. So usually we talk about diversity for things like age and gender and inclusion and things along those lines. But I think there's also diversity of skill set and experience and interest and um, just levels of the way that folks choose to approach their work. And while that makes teams stronger, we've also both talked about how we've witnessed issues where there could be this conflict between, actually I don't want to use the word conflict, this uh, friction between constructive differences on teams and combative differences on teams. So the concept of encouraging differences of opinions while also trying to couch it in some type of positive, meaningful, and forward-looking way I think is so critically important. Absolutely, and I think that, that comes down to just basic, um, I say basic, it means that they're simple, and it's communication skills. And communication Absolutely. skills that you can use on a daily basis, and once you get used to using them, they're second nature. Um, and one of them is, you know, is debating uh, and, and constructive argument. Uh, coming from, that was one of my favorite classes as an undergrad was logic and, and debate. And I came out of that thinking or knowing that argument is not a bad word. Um, that having a discussion, as long as you have supportive evidence to support your your thesis, right? Um, and that's how we construct arguments here. If we have disagreements, it's very much one not not keeping it at that professional level is also important. Um, and if you have uh, an issue, you have a disagreement. What is your support for that argument? And having a receptive uh, partner, uh, team member on the other side, is equally important. Well, it's almost like there's two different definitions of the word supportive, right? You're using it to say you need supportive justification for the disagreement. But I also think that just the environment itself needs to be supportive in the sense that you are there to lift each other up and not necessarily to be in competition all of the time. And therefore, uh, constructive feedback, constructive conversation, and constructive differences can lift the entire team up at the same time. 
I love playing devil's advocate. It's one of my favorite things to do because I'm, I'm a really big believer in making sure that when decisions are made or processes are changed, you evaluate it from every single angle and perspective that you possibly can. And part of that is having differences of opinion on a team represented, but part of it is also just thinking outside of the box and throwing ideas out there that might be uh, objections from others. But I also find that when I'm working with people for the first time on a team, I will sometimes need to tell them up front, I play devil's advocate a lot, because I've found that, that is, that's helpful in assuring that if I bring an uh, argument to the table, it is seen from a supportive standpoint and not from a, I'm just trying to be critical and knock this idea down standpoint, because that's really what I'm doing. I'm just trying to break it apart to make sure that we poke holes in things before we get too far down the path. Absolutely. A couple of things there. One, it's really important that that, that supportive structure is there, and a lot of that is, comes from the top. So it, it, you yep. got to not only hire the right people, you got to get hired by the right people. Um, and that, that's incredibly important. Um, also, um, having a place where I often uh, I've called, actually, the last several places that I've, I've worked, I've called our department, we're the uh, prospect research department, obviously prospect management, but we're also the chief problem finders. And oh, if there is an like issue that. or a problem in your process, we will find it. If there is a bug in your software, we'll find it. Um, and, and being that person, being the group of people, the team that is always bringing problems, <laughs> doesn't always make you the most popular person on board. But in a culture where problems are addressed and not pushed under the rug, it makes a big difference. Uh, prior to uh, the current management, um, that was the approach that the team had, that there were, there were problems, there are too many problems to address, so let's focus on the stuff we can address, which is a, certainly a strategy to go, but you're just kicking those problems down the road. And now we work in an environment where there are problems, let's bug someone until those problems get addressed. Yep. And maybe those are problems that we can't address till later, till we get the right resources, but at least they're on the board now. We're acknowledging they're a problem, and we have a plan to address them. Um, I, I think that's incredibly important and makes a constructive, nice place to come work. Well, and I think it also props your team up so that if someone identifies that they have, another team identifies they have a problem and can't figure out how to solve it or can't figure out what the root cause is, you're putting your your team in an elevated position of being able to critically analyze and critically assess and help that other team through whatever challenges they come across, which I think is awesome. One of the other strategies that I typically try to employ doesn't always work so well. I think it depends on how timid folks are. But when we hire new folks onto the team, I try to set them up to be immediate problem solvers and critical thinkers as well. And I ask every new person on any team that comes on board to, as they're going through their training process and their orientation process, to think about it not only as uh, I need to learn how to do this because it's my job, but also not to accept what is put before them just because it's the way that a process has been documented in the past almost to ask them to audit as they're training. And I do it not to try to upset the apple cart if it's been in existence for a while, but I think that fresh perspective can be so helpful, particularly because I'm very lucky that I've got some really seasoned and tenured folks on my teams, 
But after doing things the same way for so long, I think that we become blind to the holes and the challenges that become part of our processes because it's just the way we've always done it. So I really like to encourage those new folks to uh, think through and either bring to me if they're not comfortable bringing it to the entire team or bring to the entire team potential places where they think improvements could be made uh, and use it as both a training exercise and an audit exercise at the same time. Absolutely. That's fantastic. I, I love that. I think that's one of the greatest, that's one of my favorite things about APRA also, is that we're comprised, uh, our profession is comprised of so many other, or so many people from other professions. And they're all coming in with their, with a different perspective, whether uh, they're a former uh, realtor or a former, uh, you know, a law clerk or um, a former salesman. They're all coming in with this this incredibly unique perspective. Um, one of the people that I, I met the other day uh, came from a, a money management background, and I was so excited to meet someone from outside of the philanthropy field. And of course, the first thing I, I did was ask her to do a webinar for APRA Florida uh, on money management. And are are we getting our capacity ratings right? Are we just shooting in the wind? Are they anywhere close? Um, so always looking to improve in processes, I think, is a, a mindset that you have to take. And one of the really difficult things is when you develop a, a process, when you're at some place for a long time, is keeping that open mind to it, it's probably not perfect and it probably can be improved. And I think a, a, an attitude of constant improvement and constant self-study and constant self-exploration um, is something that makes your team far superior. So having a team that is constantly exploring their processes, uh, that is constantly looking for ways to improve, is essential and makes your team better. Absolutely, but there's a subtlety, I think, that's uh, embedded in what you just said, which partially goes back to hiring the right people and being hired by the right people, and partially goes back to that supportive, uh, supportive thing that we were talking about earlier, which is that truly functional and high-performing teams need to be comfortable with getting feedback from each other, both up, down, and across. And that's something that's sometimes pretty difficult for uh, certain folks to adapt to if they're not used to that type of environment. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, I, I love the, the structure and the culture that we have here at NOVA. Um, and I've you know, certainly been at other places where it's like that, but where criticism is taken constructively. Uh, it's when it's presented with respect uh, and tact and in, in a uh, manner that it's, it's meant to improve, not only for criticizing or just to break down or for political gain, um, and it's to bring the whole team up. We have a, a saying here that many other organizations also have is that we're all one NSU. You know, a gift to to one uh, department lifts the whole tide. You know, an improvement in one process lifts everybody up. And, and I I don't know. A lot of people say that. A lot of organizations uh, say that. But until you have a commitment from leadership to enforce it, and you address the when people do get personal and people do take offense to criticism of their processes, you know, taking that time to address it and to understand it and say you have a right to be upset because it's your baby. I understand that. Um, and then again, supporting your argument with 
with a logical with logic and facts and and um, and an angle in mind. Yeah, and taking it not from a place of being as the receiver, taking it as a place of not being defensive, but as a place of uh, feedback as a gift. I work with someone who is in a position where she is responsible for training others, and uh, she always says feedback is a gift, and to really come at it from that mindset. You know what's occurred to me as we've been talking today, and particularly based on the last few comments that you've made, if we had to really boil down everything that we've touched on, pretty much between both of our podcasts, so much of it comes back to organizational culture. And just being in an environment where the culture is supportive and forward-looking and growth-oriented and uh, we're all in it together from a true team spirit and not necessarily from a competitive spirit. Not that competition's bad, but in the types of organizations and offices that most of us work in, I think collaboration reigns higher over competition uh, through all of these cultural pieces that we've sort of touched on. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, one of the things we, we do here, uh, of course, everyone does the metrics with the gift officers. Uh, we also do metrics with the fundraising staff. And uh, it was interesting when we first introduced them, there was that competition again. Uh, this person has a higher number in this category than I. Maybe I should start doing more of that. And introducing the idea that metrics aren't a measurement. I mean, they are a measurement, but they, they aren't a ruler to compare yourself against. It's a, uh, it's a snapshot in time of the product that you are producing. Um, and if more than likely, it's going to show that you're spending a lot of time doing one thing, so you're not able to do another thing, and it's, a, it's used to address issues. And I think approached like that, approached as constructive and not punitive, um, it can go a long way. I, I'd like to do more with our metrics, I know, and, and that might be a, another area of interest that, um, that I'd like to see more development in, um, especially one of the things I'm, I'm really interested in is not only how many prospects we produce, but how many prospects are actually acted upon um, and, and moved to solicitation. But yes. another, another podcast. <laughs> yes, that's a... From my perspective, working with so many clients over the years, that is a struggle that a lot of organizations have. But it is not a lot to do with leadership, so we will not walk down that rabbit hole today. Uh, this has been great. So I think we've actually managed to cover all three of those broad topics that we framed at the beginning, player coach, uh, working with teams that have some level of differences amongst them, and uh, navigating through various forms of feedback. I think we can go on forever, but... I'm sure our uh, listeners don't want to listen to us forever. So is there anything else that uh, you can think of on those topics that we haven't chatted about yet that might be helpful to add to the conversation? I, I think we've covered it pretty well. Absolutely. Maybe one more thing on feedback uh, is understanding, uh, playing on what we talked about last podcast of the situational leadership. I think yes. there's also situational feedback. And you have to really be attuned, and uh, and a good manager has uh, a highly developed sense of emotional intelligence, and can really understand what kind of feedback will work best and motivate their their um, their team member. Um, you know, some some thrive on on you know a, a extreme candor, where some uh, don't. <laughs> 
Well, and some thrive on the pats on the back, and others thrive on the public displays of acknowledgement. I think that's critical as well. Uh, I'm not a big fan of one-size-fits-all recognition strategy. Uh, you know, the $10 Starbucks gift card might mean the absolute world to one person, and then another person wants you to send out the email that lets the entire division know that they've done something really well, and others just need you to say thank you. Uh, so understanding those levels of differences, those, those were all on the positive side, but also for uh, providing any type of uh, corrective action and how someone wants to receive that corrective action information is, is critically important so that they know you're speaking to them and, and that you're really resonating with what's going to motivate them and keep them engaged. Absolutely. And I think speaking of corrective action, I think if you're approaching it in that same manner that we've been talking about, with respect, in a non-personal manner and with a goal in mind, with a plan, with supportive evidence, I've never had an, an issue uh, escalate to anything um, that wasn't good uh, following just that integrity, respect, and, and uh, communication, respectful communication between team members. Yeah, um, so I would agree. Believe or not. Assuming that the person wants to be where they currently are, I do think it's sometimes a little bit more challenging if someone has already decided in their head that the role that they are in is not the role that they want to be in and they've sort of checked out, then, then I think it's a little bit more challenging. Absolutely. Then the conversation there isn't so much of a corrective action, but are you in the right place and how can I help you get to the right place? True as well. True as well. Okay, well, this is great. Thank you again for joining us for this latest installment of leadership content from myself and Charles. As each of you think about how you are going to be navigating your own career trajectories and making yourself stronger leaders within your organizations and over the course of your career, we hope we've given you some insight to think about and perhaps some tactical tips or tricks that you might be able to uh, utilize on a day-to-day -day basis. So thanks again, Charles, for sharing so much great information with our listeners, and have a great day, everybody. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Beyond Prospecting, the APRA podcast. To discover all that APRA has to offer, visit aprahome.org. For links to content featured in this episode, check out the show notes. If you like the show and want to help others find us, please subscribe to and rate us on iTunes. Until next time.